The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. And Robertson walks. He continues to make his case. It will fall on deaf ears. Liverpool are down to ten. With a quarter of an hour's football still to play. Liverpool's final Premier League game before Christmas is a thriller, but points dropped at Spurs with the ref at the heart of some mighty controversial decisions. Of course, that's going to be involved in today's pod. Maybe it was a good point given the circumstances. We'll talk with the guests on that one. Uh, Also on the pod, Jürgen says the festive fixture list is unachievable and he hints that talks with Mo Salah are positive. I'm Steve Hothersall. This is The Red Agenda. James Pearce and Stephen Beacom are the guests uh, today. Look, loads of excitement, James. Loads of goals, highs, lows. But let's face it, a Premier League game absolutely ruined by some inept officiating at Spurs. Yeah, I think that's a very fair summary, Steve. It was um, as bad a referee in performance as I've seen for a very, very long time. I think, um, you know, you expect these officials at the highest level to get things right, especially when you've got the benefit of of VAR. You accept that things get missed in real time with just how quick the game is. Sometimes their views are obstructed, but um, yeah, just the whole system failed miserably, didn't it? With two big, big decisions that that went against Liverpool and had a, um, you know, a, a massive influence on the outcome because I still can't quite believe that Harry Kane stayed on the pitch in that first half you know, it was as blatant as a red card as you'll, you'll ever see and then I think the fact that then obviously Robertson gets that one does get referred to VAR and that Paul Tierney goes across and looks at the monitor that that you know that just makes it even worse the fact that well, how can one be a red card and the other one not you know the, to me and no complaints whatsoever with the Robertson one but Kane had to go as well and then the penalty appeal Klopp said that he'd spoke to Tierney afterwards and and Tierney had said that Jota had deliberately stopped to almost initiate the contact from Emerson and it was trying to buy a penalty when it's just absolute nonsense when you look at the replay back. Yeah, frustrating because, you know, we don't know 100% obviously what would have happened, but of course, you know, those two decisions, if they're correctly applied, then um, I'm sure we'd be talking today about a, a magnificent win for Liverpool in really difficult circumstances with all the positive COVID tests. Right, let's talk about the, the first incident then, Harry Kane, in, in, in some depth. It was a massively excessive challenge, Stephen. It was one that could have left a player with a broken leg. What I don't understand is, you know, with VAR, and James mentioned it there, there's the possibility for someone else to have a look at this. Now, you, you look at it in in slow motion, you just watch the replay. You, you could maybe excuse Paul Tierney if he, if he thinks he hasn't seen it properly, but you can't excuse that extra pair of eyes that is watching this. A hundred percent, Steve. I couldn't believe the decision regards Harry Kane. Obviously, he'd just given Tottenham the lead a few minutes before, so he was on a high, the crowd were on a high. So I could see the challenge coming a mile off whenever him and Robertson came together, but it was an appalling challenge. You can't get away from that. You really can't. And even in real time, I couldn't believe that the referee, Paul Tierney, didn't show Kane a red. Then... You have VAR. It's been brought in to sort out stuff like this. 
And for them not to then upgrade the yellow card to a red was just unbelievable. And as James has mentioned, it was compounded with what happened later in the game when Andy Robertson was shown a red card. But officials have been given this helping hand with VAR coming in. And over the past few years, I still find it incredibly frustrating how many decisions that they get wrong. And this was a huge decision because if Kane goes off, that bursts Tottenham's bubble. I'll tell you something else, by the way. What angered me even more than the Kane incident was the Jota penalty. Have you ever seen a more clear-cut penalty in all your lives? And to be honest, Jota just equalised at that point. Liverpool were then going to go 2-1 up because you would have fancied Mo Salah or James Milner to have tucked away the penalty. And at that point, Tottenham were rocking. And that one really, really annoyed me because um, it was so clear-cut. I genuinely thought in the first half, boys, that whoever was in charge of VAR had taken their Christmas holidays early because <laughs> it was as if they were not there. And I just couldn't understand the decision-making process. He obviously came back from the holidays for the second half where he sent Robertson off. He was good enough to, to come back and do that one. But genuinely, the first half... While it was a compelling watch and exhilarating, it was incredibly frustrating. You know, and even a neutral watching that game of football yesterday would have surely witnessed and realised that the referee was making a right mess of it. Not just the referee, but the people in charge of VAR as well. It was um, a horrendous show of refereeing in what was a, a brilliant game of football. Yeah, they were all digging a bigger hole, weren't they? At the time, the shot a penalty. And James, you mentioned it there that the referee said he thought that he was trying to buy a penalty. I've watched it maybe five times. I can't see that. So how he saw that in, in real time and determined that so quickly is remarkable. Well, it's just an absolute nonsense, isn't it? It's not, as you said then, Steve, I've watched it over and over again. And of course he slows down slightly because he's shaping to shoot as you know, as any striker would in that situation. He's The idea that Jota, with the form that he's in, is even thinking about anything else apart from putting that away is just crazy. I mean, I thought it was a nailed-on penalty in real time, obviously, obviously in the stadium. And then as soon as you watch the first replay, I'm like, well, it doesn't get any clearer than that. VAR is bound to overturn it. And then, But I think it, it feels like it's been such a horrific few weeks for the officials that I think we're back now in the realms of having no idea what actually is a penalty and what is a red card. Because the lines have been blurred that much. When you look at, you know, that nonsense the other week where James Madison dives for Leicester, you know, that decision stands. Man City getting a penalty where the ball hits someone in the armpit, and then you know, as blatant a foul as you ever see, the one on Jota. You know, and, and the, the other thing that I think's probably gone under the radar a bit is Emerson had already been booked. So to me, that is a second yellow card offence, and he would have been off. So if you know, if Kane had already gone, we'd been talk, we'd be talking about Tottenham being down to nine. So, um, you know, I know David Ornstein for The Athletic in his column today has, has written about why the PGMOL explained why Kane wasn't sent off. And the reasoning was that because Andy Robertson was jumping, the force wasn't as great. But how does that possibly change how horrendous the challenge was from Harry Kane? It's an, so you're saying that Robertson... Know, by jumping has almost saved Kane from a red card if he because you know as Klopp said himself if Robertson's leg had been planted then he would have broken his leg so 
I mean, there's that's, a, that's almost like saying if a if a player threw a punch but another player moved out of the way, it'd be fine. It's nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's that it's exactly that, Steve. Which just, I mean, you can't help but think in circumstances like that that the fact that Harry Kane is captain of England, I think that goes in his favour with borderline, you know, decisions like that. Where I don't know, you know, whether even whether it's just a subconscious thing where it's like. You know, are you going to send off the captain of England who's just scored and put put Tottenham one 0 up in a big game with you know the the eyes of the world watching and all the rest of it? I don't I don't know what goes through their heads, but just absolutely baffling. I know you know football fans since since the beginning of time have moaned about referees and decisions and all the rest of it, but um, yeah, Liverpool had very good reason to have major major gripes on Sunday because um, it cost them and. Um, it was a shame because I think I actually thought, considering how difficult the preparations have been, I actually thought you know Liverpool you know equipped, equipped themselves really well. Well, Andy Robertson's red card, of course, I, I don't think many could argue with that. He kicked out at Emerson Royale, a result of the intensity of the game. It was stupid, really, of him, and he put a message on Instagram, Stephen, a little bit later, saying he'd been brought up to take responsibility for things, and it was a poor challenge. I think perhaps the frustration more lies when you when you start making the comparison with the Kane incident. Yeah, and um, I'm not a major fan of players going on social media and apologising for all sorts, like missing penalties and, and the like after games. But I thought Andy Robertson's message was pretty classy and a really nice touch. And plus, he made the point about his teammates digging in. Robertson's match was so eventful though, wasn't it? Because, first of all, he had that incident with Kane whenever Kane should have been sent off. Then he was the man behind the, the Jota equaliser with that brilliant run and cross. And, of course, it looked as if at one stage he'd scored the winner. A header from a couple of yards. What a moment that was for Andy Robertson getting on the end of um, Trent Alexander's wonderful cross. And, of course, we had the Allison mistake which made it 2-2, and I just felt after that, Robertson was frustrated, he was obviously very angry, and the, the kick at Emerson, yeah, it was bang out of order, it was a silly challenge, no one knows that more than Andy Robertson, and of course now he's going to, to miss three games, unfortunately, and just at a time whenever he was playing brilliant football, so he's going to be a big miss, although Simicast has played well this season. But I think Andy Robertson will come back in the new year firing and more determined than ever to try and get Liverpool another league title. And he's the type of guy that, even whenever he's not playing, is vital in the dressing room. But he will learn from what happened on Sunday evening. He'll learn from that challenge. And I don't see him making it again. But I just felt frustrated at the end of the game because although... Liverpool were under strength, although there was a lot of problems going into the game. I have to be honest, it felt as if Liverpool had dropped two points yesterday. And in many ways, through no fault of their own, through the fault of the officiating, I have no doubt in my mind, if that penalty is given and Liverpool would have scored it, Liverpool go on to win that game reasonably comfortably. And it changes everything then, doesn't it? Just before we go to more of the positives of the game, James, you were in the stadium. And am I hearing right that they actually re-shows Andy Robertson's red card on the big screen in terms of the incident that happened. Is that, is that actually allowed? It's certainly very rare. I'm not sure exactly what the rules are. And they certainly didn't show any of the other 
big incidents, funnily enough. They didn't show the Kane one again or the uh, the Jota penalty one. But, um, yeah, they did. It was, af- it was after, to be fair, it was after Tierney had changed his mind, after he'd gone to the monitor and, and shown the red card. It was just as Robertson was starting to make his way all the way across the, the pitch when they, they showed it on the giant screens. And, um, yeah, some s- selective editing, I think you call that, oh. from whoever was in charge of the, the screens at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, showing that one and, and not the other ones. I think, yeah, Andy Robertson is a, is a class act. He, you know, what a contrast between mm. the way that he came out and putting that on social media. And so, yeah, as Stephen said, sometimes you kind of like, Sometimes with social media posts from players, you know full well that it's been done by someone, you know, part of their entourage just to tick a box. But that, you know, you you can guarantee that that was from Andy Robertson himself and came from the heart because he would have felt like he'd let people down because he, he knows that was a rush of blood. And I don't think anyone could have any complaints about that being turned from a yellow into a into a red. The frustration was more the fact that the alarming lack of consistency from from the officials when it came to implementing the rules but yeah when you contrast Robertson what what he said with Harry Kane's post-match interview but he actually kept a straight face didn't he when he said I thought I played the ball it was just a hard challenge and it's just like I know where people in football repeatedly try and put spins on things and and all the rest of it but you're like come off it it would have just been Keep a bit of dignity and just say, do you know what? Maybe I got lucky with one there. I mistimed it. I didn't mean to cause him any lasting damage. Because I don't think he did. I think it was misjudged rather than really, really nasty. I think he, I think the ball just got away from him. But, you know, the, the reality is when you're at full pelt like that and you've got your studs up, in this day and age, you shouldn't stay on the field. So, um, yeah, talk about contrasting reactions from the, the captains of England and Scotland and... Um, it certainly felt like on the day they were they were playing by two different sets of rules as well with the way that one stayed on and one went off. And James, you get you got to chuckle with how long it took Andy Robertson to go off because the <laughs> more the more they were jeering at him, the slower he got. I, d- I don't think I've ever seen a more prolonged exit <laughs> from the football field. Yeah, well, I think I think uh, like it, where the media box is at Tottenham is you know the the away technical area was just in front of us, and I think he he knew full well that it would probably be helpful for Klopp and Pep Linders for them to buy them a couple of minutes just to work out how they were going to approach those what was it last 15 minutes or so with down to 10 men and um in the end you went from thinking you know quickly thinking wow you know we, we could be talking about an Andy Robertson winner to just being relieved I think in the end that Liverpool didn't end up with nothing to to show for their efforts I think uh, I saw one stat from Opta I think you had to go back to to Mitrovic in 2016 for the last time a Premier League player assisted a goal scored a goal and got sent off all in the same game. So, um, yeah, certainly an afternoon that Andy Robertson won't forget in a hurry. Stephen, let's just talk about how amazing the fullbacks are. I mean, I, I don't think we've ever seen two better fullbacks playing in the way they do, playing in a Premier League side. And yesterday, you, you know, you do look at the influence of the two of them. Trent, unbelievable. James wrote recently about how he's got his swagger back. It's been some season for him. But Andy and, and Trent on either side, I mean, wow, what a menace they are. Liverpool have always had remarkable fullbacks. I go back to whenever Phil Neal was winning European Cups and scoring goals, scoring pens, and he was an amazing right-back. Alan Kennedy, another... European Cup final hero, brilliant. The two of them together were awesome. And one of my particular favourites was Steve Nicol, particularly in the 87-88 season when he um, played at left-back 
and he was alongside Johnny Barnes and that partnership was just electrifying to watch. But these two, Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, they just get you off your seat. They have got everything going forward. They are a joy to watch and I've spoken about before how they're different and how they cross the ball different and how they run. But my goodness me, what an asset to have two fullbacks like that for Liverpool Football Club right now. They just go from strength to strength. And I think in many respects they set the tone. You know, obviously yesterday Liverpool were missing Van Dijk, best defender in the world. Fabinho, the comfort blanket that um, gives everyone that warm fuzzy feeling around them. And Jordan Henderson, captain supreme. But whenever you have Trent and Andy in the, the same team together, roaring up the flanks, you know, and um, defending well yesterday, by the way, because Liverpool were under the cosh at times. I think from a midfield perspective, it was really tough for the three that were in there. You know, Tyler Morton, what an education he got yesterday. That's going to help, actually help him a heck of a lot going forward. Naby Keita, who's just back from injury, you know, playing the... the the full whack again, that'll help him going forward. And James Milner, you know, I think we have to pay credit to James Milner here. The number seven shirt is synonymous with Liverpool Football Club, obviously because of what Kenny Daglish, Kevin Keegan, people like that, Peter Beardsley um, achieved in the shirt. But my goodness, I tell you what, James Milner is a Liverpool great in my opinion. He just steps in wherever you need him to step in. And um, although at times the midfield um, found it tough yesterday, I thought Milner's influence at times was, was excellent. But in terms of the fullbacks, Steve, there's no one better in world football than those two. They really are at a different level and they give Liverpool so much. And um, going forward next next year, like that's whenever the trophies are handed out. Those two are going to be vital to Liverpool Football Club in terms of how much silverware is coming to Anfield this season. And Klopp, just the way he plays them in terms of his tactics, it's perfection. It really is. Two of the most dangerous players in world football right now. Well, Robertson, of course, his cross set up Jota's header. The header itself, James, was just unbelievable. I mean, this isn't a very tall guy, is it? For anyone who's actually stood next to Jota... It's not like he's overbearing on you. How him and Sadio Mane are so good at heading the ball is is phenomenal. Yeah, it's a massive asset of his, isn't it? We've seen it time and time again that he's, his movement is so clever as, as well as that technique and that spring that he's able to generate. And um, he's just been a, a, a fantastic addition, Jota, hasn't he? I think, what, what is it? I think he's only the, the second player in the Premier League behind Salah to get the double figures this season and as we I mean, we talked about him a couple of weeks back in terms of just his importance in the context of this season is going to be huge isn't it with you know at the moment there's so much uncertainty about what's going to happen in the next few weeks whether AFCON goes ahead we know there were talks at the weekend with you know FIFA desperately trying to get it shelved and some countries I think in favour of moving it to, to June either to keep it in Cameroon or even move it to Doha obviously the, the organisers of AFCON still desperate for it to go ahead, trying to resist that pressure from from European clubs, especially for it not to go ahead. But it, you know, it's so it's forward planning is so difficult for Klopp at the moment. But you know, whether whether he loses Salah and Mane or not in January, we know that you know Jota will be there. He will be around, and he's such an important source of goals and and creativity as well for this 
for this Liverpool team. And um, yeah, that was certainly one big positive from the day, the way that uh, the way that Jota imposed himself in that game and, and kept his great run going. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, James, I know Stephen said before he felt like it was two points dropped. I, I maybe felt slightly different at the end. And I thought, you know, given the trying circumstances, the the lack of players, the likes of Cater and Milner having to play so much throughout the game, Tyler having a tough time. I sort of thought a point wasn't a bad result for Liverpool at the end of that. Yeah, do you know what? It was funny, really, because travelling back after the game, I was thinking it was quite a difficult one to make sense of, I think, if you were a supporter, because there were so many things in the game that probably should have left you feeling aggrieved. And, you know, apart from the decisions, you think, you know, the Son equaliser is so avoidable, isn't it? It was so frustrating. You know, Alisson was so good. I mean, you know, you'd have to be an idiot to, to point an accusing finger at Alisson after that game because, yes, you know, he's made an error there that's been punished. But, you know, the, the save from Deli Alley first half is unbelievable. As good as you see anywhere all season. The one from Kane second half as well when he looked, you know, destined to tuck that ball away, the way in which Alisson just read the game so well and, and spread himself and made the save. So, but yeah, you're right. I think I think the, the, the longer after the game it got, I think the more I thought, do you know what? That is actually a decent point. You know, you can't be too disappointed going away to Tottenham. I think with all the circumstances around it as well. I mean, I think you could tell in that second half that there was one team that you know was what playing their fourth game in the space of a fortnight. The other team hadn't hadn't played at all for a fortnight and were a lot fresher. I think the stats were pretty telling on that. I think Liverpool had seventy percent of the ball first half and forty percent second half. And I know they had the red card, but that was only late on. You know, the, the spine of this Liverpool team has been ripped out, hasn't it, in the last week or so due to COVID and illness. I mean, you know, Klopp's first choice midfield is you know Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago, all of those missing. Obviously, Curtis Jones as well. The best centre-back in world football in Van Dijk, isolating with COVID at the minute as well. Um, I mean, the reality is that midfield that started at Tottenham, I think was essentially probably the midfield that people would have expected not to have seen till till Leicester in the Carabao Cup because Tyler Morton will be better for the experience. Undoubtedly, it was certainly a step up in quality, I think, compared to playing in a dead rubber in the Champions League, you know, having to handle a lot more pressure. But it was hard, you know, a 19-year-old kid making his full Premier League debut alongside Milner and Cater, and neither of those had started a game since October because of the injury issues that they, they've had. And, um, yeah, I, I just think for, for Klopp, he likes to prepare, you know, down to the absolute, you know, nth degree. But, you know, how can you when you're having to keep changing the team on the day of the game? You know, it's like a daily lottery at the moment to waiting with bated breath. You know, who's tested positive, who hasn't, who can I play, who can't I play? So, yeah, I thought, you know, Liverpool, it's very rare to see Liverpool torn apart on the counter-attack as many times as, as it happened, especially first half against Tottenham. You know, I saw people on social media saying, you know, I, I can't understand what's going on. It's like, well, it's not rocket science, is it? You know, look at that midfield. There was a lack of protection, a lack of runners, a lack of communication at times. But I think that was to be expected, you know, that they hadn't played together before. They hadn't trained with that team. So I think, you know, there was always going to be issues. And um, that's why, yeah, I think in those circumstances, in that context, do you know what? A point is not a bad result. And while Liverpool have suffered with missing players, Stephen. Let's face it, Chelsea have had it even worse. I think they only had four outfield players on the bench. Even Jurgen Klopp made the point that Kovacic was having to be played when he's been out with a long-term injury. Chelsea called for their game to be postponed and were firmly rebuffed. 
Yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, uh, Thomas Tuchel said after the match, Steve, that player safety was at risk. And you can't be having that. You know, um, you want to, every time you, you play a football match, you want the players to be looked after first and foremost. And you also want the spectators to be catered for and cared for. So we're in a really interesting situation right now. And um, uh, listen, do you know the way you boys are talking there? Maybe I'm starting to come round to the idea that a point was a good result. <laughs> but um, the, re the reason why I thought it was two points dropped is purely because in this league right now, the way Manchester City are going, you can't really afford to drop any points. But, you know, we're three points behind them, so it's still in Liverpool's hands. So you've made me feel a lot better, boys. So thanks very much for that. But in terms of what happens next, does anyone really know what's going to happen next? The experts don't know what's going to happen next, so it's very, very hard for people in football to know um, in terms of what is around the corner with the pandemic. But I do believe that player safety should be uppermost in everyone's minds. And having only four outfield players on the bench, as Chelsea had against Wolves, you know, the alarm bells have got to be ringing there for people in charge of football. You know, that cannot be happening. So it's going to be fascinating to see what decisions are made in the weeks, months, days ahead. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's but, impossible to preempt this at the moment. And and as we currently record this, James, it, you know, we we don't know whether Leicester in the League Cup is going ahead, Leeds, Leicester again in in the Premier League. You would presume at some point there has to be some sort of break. And obviously, the Premier League bosses are meeting to discuss this. It would seem to make sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, obviously, we're, we're talking before the, the the various Premier League meetings that are taking place on on Monday. But um, yeah, I mean, f for me, the most sensible option would be to just call off the entire round of games on that the twenty eighth, twenty ninth of December. Because I think, I just think the way things are at the moment, everyone is having to operate with much smaller squads, and because of COVID. And then when you then factor in we've got a smaller pool of players and, and playing twice in the space of 40 hours is is crazy anyway you know but so but then these managers then are going to be so limited in terms of what changes they can make because the squads are smaller with covid at the moment so you know that then you're talking about the issues with fatigue and increased injuries and all the rest of it so i think i think that would provide a small bit of breathing space if if they did that I understand the arguments just to shelve all of it, maybe for a couple of weeks. But I think I think the only thing with that, and I thought Klopp spoken quite well on it, that he said, you know, he said if the experts tell me that they think that will help, then yes, I'm all for this circuit breaker, and we just pack it in for a fortnight. But I think at the moment, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure that would work. I don't think anyone's suggesting at the moment that COVID is being passed from player to player or from team to team from from playing the matches. You know, it's it's everywhere in society, isn't it? You know, it's, you know, I'm sure we all like, even in my own personal experience, you know, the number of friends and family that I know have, that have got it in the last 10 days, two weeks has, has gone off the scale. And, you know, these are still players with kids that go to schools and, you know, the staff members with, you know, older kids that go to work and all the rest of it. So it's, I'm, I'm just not a hundred percent sure that knocking it all on the head for two weeks will massively change things. But the other side of it is there is an integrity debate to be had because at the moment it's a covid lottery isn't it in terms of well who which club is the worst affected i think also 
you know, which club is the best at then trying to campaign to the Premier League to get their game off. Because I think that's the other thing that has to change on the back of these Premier League meetings is we need more transparency. I, I don't understand the secrecy around it in terms of we should know exactly how many players and how many staff at each club have tested positive. We should know exactly what constitutes a game being on and what a game being off. Because I think at the moment, because it, there is there's, there is no transparency. And I know they talk about you know medical confidentiality. You can't just name everyone who's got it. The players might not want to be named. I get that. But we should at least have those numbers and statistics in general for the clubs. Because um, I don't think at the moment anyone really knows what is going on. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right, let's finish on hopefully what could be a bit of a high, maybe a Christmas present. Jurgen Klopp on Mo Salah's contract, Stephen. He says, really good conversations are taking place. This is the first ultra-positive comment we've heard from the club, which might indicate that there's something on the horizon. Wasn't that wonderful to hear? Thank you, Jürgen, for that Christmas message, because <laughs> Mo Salah signing a new contract would be the best Christmas present or New Year gift that Liverpool fans could have. Salah's levels since he joined Liverpool have been off the scale. But this season, I genuinely think he's moved to a new stratosphere. The football that that guy is playing is out of this world. The goals he's scoring are like just a, a compilation of greatest hits. And um, the assists that he is delivering, you know, it's like you're watching a mix of Kenny Deglish and Graham Souness together at some point whenever he's delivering passes and some of the crosses that he's putting in. The guy's just a world beater. He's the best player on the planet right now. And for Liverpool to have the best player on the planet is a wonderful, wonderful feeling. For Liverpool to keep the best player on the planet would be even better. So I just hope and pray that the deal gets done, that Mo stays on for another four or five years. He deserves the contract that he wants because what he has given Liverpool Football Club in recent years has just been unbelievable and that would be joyous wouldn't it we're three wise men sitting here in the mouth of christmas and every single one of us and every liverpool fan would rejoice if mo salah signed a new deal so um get it done reds and we can look forward to more mo goals more mo assists and more trophies because with salah in the team i do believe anything is possible for liverpool james did you feel that it was a significant statement from jürgen 
Yeah, I mean, I, I took it as a positive. I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't quite go along with the idea that 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 was a a nod and a wink that it's all done and they're just picking the 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 perfect day to announce it. I think Klopp has always been pretty bullish during this process of. I think he's he's been quite consistent with kind of. Well, you know, look at Mo Salah. Does he look to you like he's happy? Does he look like he feels appreciated? You know, does he fit into this team? You know, is this club good for him? Can he fulfil his hopes and dreams here? I think, you know, the answers to those questions have all been yes. And, you know, I think whenever we've talked about it previously, I've always said that I felt that there was a sense of optimism at the club and a confidence that it would get done at some point. I, I still feel that. I still think there's a bit of work to be done to to sort that out and that, I've never really gone along with the idea that the alarm bell should be ringing, that it's not been done before now, because I think Klopp said himself recently, didn't he? He said, you know, it's not the kind of contract extension where you just meet for a coffee one afternoon and thrash it out. You know, there's a there's a lot of a lot of details to to be sorted. But yeah, I'm you know, I think you I think you speak to any Liverpool fan and they'll tell you that if that could get done, that would be the best signing Liverpool could possibly make in the January window. You know, forget bringing anyone else in from outside. If they could get that Salah contract extension done, that would give everyone a a massive, massive boost. And um, you know, from a Liverpool perspective, so would the idea of Afcon being put back to June because you know there's so many variables up in the air at the moment regarding this season, and you know, and and with COVID, and obviously now you've got the Robertson ban and. And you know if and if Af, you know Afcon being moved could have you know absolutely massive consequences for the for the title race. So yeah, it's going to be going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Just on his love for the club, I think it's it's absolutely undeniable. I was hosting the Forever Reds event the other day. That's the former players raise money for charity. First time they've all come together. Loads of the greats there: Sunas, Rush, blah blah, and Mo and Jurgen joined us for forty five minutes on a video link, and you you could tell how much Mo loved being part of that Liverpool family. We, he was talking across Rushy and Ian Callick and there was a really funny bit in it, actually. I got some of the members of the audience up to ask questions to Mo and uh, and one guy got up and he actually asked Jürgen, first of all, he said, do you, do you ever watch the Barcelona game back just to give you a, bo- a boost? And Jürgen said, yeah, I, I do. I do like it. I love it. It makes me feel better. And then the, the same guy turned to Mo and he said, do you watch it? And Mo replied, no, I didn't play in it. <laughs> and, I, and I thought that was just that that's Mo isn't it he, he loves it he loves scoring goals but at the end of the day that there is that striker selfishness in him James and it, it was just a great response I thought he's you know we all lord that Barcelona game in his mind he's probably only thinking of the final when he scored <laughs> oh no doubt yeah, yeah yeah you're right I think um and, and you know, that's what makes him the player he is isn't he he's in, incredibly driven and hungry to, you know, as, as much as he wants to win team trophies with Liverpool, he also wants to keep breaking records. I think, you know, every time he breaks a record, Klopp quite often jokes about how, you know, you can guarantee that Mo would have known about that one in advance because he, you know, he does, he, and I think he does, it's interesting you saying that, Steve, about him kind of chatting with the legends like that because he does, he does get it. There's no doubt about that in terms of being part of the the history of, um, of Liverpool Football Club and he, you know, he's, He's just elevating himself higher and higher and higher, isn't he? And I think, I think that that has to be part of his thinking as well. That you know, it's it's about your legacy, isn't it? And if he stays put and devotes the next three or four years to Liverpool, just just think, you know, you you look at. I think he's what is he up to eighth? I think eighth or ninth in the all-time goal scorers list at the moment. He's got some you know some big names ahead of him. I think he's only ten or eleven behind Michael Owen now, and 
when, when you think what, where he could end up, it's frightening, really. You know, and I think certainly the debate that's that's had about you know is Gerrard or Dogleish the the greatest who ever played for Liverpool. You know, if he if Mo Salah stays put for the next three or four years, I've got no doubt that that it will be a three way chat that one because um, that's the kind of company that that he belongs in. I think so. And and I should just say it was Mo who absolutely demanded he was part of that event. So you you might think was he pushed into it? No. He wanted to be part of that former players group, which fantastic to see. James, thank you very much indeed. Great piece online at the moment. James has written about maybe the, the trials and tribulations that lie ahead with uncertainties over player selection, etc. And a reflection on the Spurs game. Stephen Beacom, great to have you on, pal. Thanks, boys. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. And to you, Steve. To you both and to all the listeners on the Red Agenda pod. But we will be back, as we always are, later in the week. We'll see you for that.